am Kara Barbrick with Space Foundation, and you're listening to the Space for You podcast. Space for You is designed to tell the stories of the amazing people who make today's space exploration possible. Today, we are joined by Andrew Mathis and Leighton Torres. Mr. Mathis has been teaching at Fredericksburg High School since 2003. He has taught chemistry, all levels of physics, and currently teaches all four years of the engineering program. Having graduated from the United States Merchant Marine Academy with a bachelor's in marine engineering, he sailed as a third assistant engineer on commercial merchant ships to fulfill his obligation. Deciding not to follow the design engineering path thereafter, he moved up his plans to teach and followed his true passion, changing lives through hands-on education. Layton is finishing his junior year at Fredericksburg High School. He has been in the Systems Go engineering classes since his freshman year. Layton has always been a problem solver driven by a challenge and new opportunities. He volunteered at the 2021 Systems Go launches for two days, totaling about 24 hours, and assisted in launching a record-breaking 40 rockets in one day. Leighton is interested in pursuing a career in aerospace engineering. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having us, Karen. Thank you. We are excited you guys are on today. Andrew, you began as a merchant marine, but quickly moved into teaching. Why would you say teaching is your true passion? So I went into engineering uh, at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, and when I graduated, I really enjoyed sailing. I made a pact that I wasn't going to sail forever because I didn't want to uh, have a family and be involved and stuff. And when I came shoreside, I had interviewed for design jobs. And uh, I just remember walking through the kind of the workrooms and stuff. And I was it would have been more like power plant design, uh, kind of plug and play type of design work. And it wasn't really what I had envisioned. And I'd always planned on teaching when I retired because I wanted to have an impact on youth. Um, so kind of, I decided to substitute for six months and see if I enjoy the environment. I did, and I loved it. Uh, so I made the leap and uh, got my emergency certification. And after my first year internship, we were able to move wherever we wanted and luckily ended up in Fredericksburg where uh, engineering was already sort of in place with Brett Williams and uh, never looked back. So it's, kind of been a dream that I'm actually getting to work with youth and introduce them to engineering and research, which it was not an experience that I really had before I went to college. Um, and I think getting the exposure to research and showing students research and taking them places where there's research really gives them an opportunity to see what they can do and what's out there for them. Yes. I mean, you're not just handing them the answers, you're allowing them to research and figure it out on their own. I'm sure Leighton will have something to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Very much. So, so I take it he doesn't give you the answers, Leighton? Is that? Um, not to everything. I mean, mainly if we don't have the answers, it's um, a big thing of can you research it yourself? And it's to a certain extent where if we are – just don't know at all then we'll get a form of an answer like a bit of a puzzle piece and then with that puzzle piece we can then we can like put together the rest of it and then so it's mainly like not giving us the full answer but giving us 
pieces of it to help us discover the whole thing ourselves. And that like helps us become better problem solvers. Most definitely. So then Andrew Systems Go, for those who don't have that background, can you tell us just a little bit what it is? And then how Uh, did you first hear about it? So Systems Go is a nonprofit organization and their goal is really to make this project-based education available to schools and now we're currently stretching out of Texas and starting to stretch into Colorado and we've been in New Mexico for a few years now and we've got a few uh, individuals in different states but the goal is really to provide a window of opportunity for students to be able to engage in project-based education and as part of that systems go train teachers in how to implement it because it's kind of a paradigm shift and uh, it's sometimes it can be really difficult for teachers to make that shift because you're going from a traditional educational environment where teachers are supposed to give the notes and give the lecture and then assess how they do. And in this program, you're just giving the kids the problem and then they have to learn the lessons and figure out the processes to be able to get to the finish line. So it's a real big paradigm shift. So that system's goal is kind of mission is to to produce workforce ready uh, students for the future so that they can walk into a workplace and, uh, you know, a boss doesn't have to sit with the kid or a supervisor doesn't have to sit with them to actually teach them, well, this is what you need to do. They can say, this is what we where we need to be. This is your project. Please get started on it. And the students are more comfortable with that discomfort. And that's kind of one of the things I described to parents is by the time they're juniors and seniors, they're really comfortable with discomfort. Like you give them any problem and they know they have no idea and starting off how kind of how to, what the answer is going to be, but they know they can figure it out. And it's a kind of a lesson in persistence. Uh, In terms of my engagement with systems go, it kind of started from the beginning So like I said, I moved to Fredericksburg in 2003, and at that time, it wasn't, there was no systems go. Uh, Brett Williams, he walked around the corner from his classroom on the first day of school and found out I was an engineer and told me he was going to get me involved in what he was trying to do to support him. And as a result of that, there was a small group of individuals in Fredericksburg who were trying to help Brett be successful. And it was always the goal to make the program, it became the goal to make this program available to others. So the the mission kind of changed. And originally it was Fredericksburg Education Initiative, which it still is officially the name that the DBA is Systems Go. Um, And the mission just kept, continued to grow and get more involved in regards to making it available to now people outside of even our state of Texas. So that was how it got started and how I got involved and Brett asking me to come help with their local launches where it was just Fredericksburg or just a couple schools at the very beginning uh, who were trying to do what we did. You were a part of it from the very, very beginning. Yes, ma'am. And it's, it's been fun to watch it grow and there's been growing pains along the way. And I think one of the things that I appreciate about it as an educator, because 
uh, in education, you always try to do as much as you can with as little as possible. Like <laughs> big picture systems go is a uh, really inexpensive program for schools to implement. And I think that behooves it in many ways. And maybe sometimes can be a challenge because we don't, our, our business is not in marketing. That's not our goal. Our goal is the education. And that's where, you know, the, the money that's charged, that's where it goes into. It goes all back to the supporting the schools with the launches and so forth. But it's something that is the full package, so to speak. So teachers don't have to be intimidated by it. They can. Correct. Uh, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, We've had teachers, like you do not have to be an engineer to teach this program. If you have the right mentality, it's totally about, you know, when you asked um, Leighton kind of about my role in terms of answering questions, like I really feel in the classroom, teachers are more of a manager and a facilitator. Like my goal is to make sure they have the resources they need. Can we get our, can we get their purchase orders filed? Uh, Purchase order didn't make it to the company and the students will follow up on it. But on our side of it, on the business end of it, like I would communicate with central office after they realize that there's an issue and things like that. So really, I'm more of a facilitator and manager for the program and the students. And like you said earlier, it's kind of a a paradigm shift for teaching, but a really great one. Yeah, it is. And it's hard sometimes because, you know, after after time, you do kind of get to learn what you think will work and what won't work. And there's been situations where, you know, the students are doing something and I don't really think that it's going to work. Like I think it might not fly as well as it could, but if it's not a safety issue and they're learning the process and typically learn students learn more when rockets uh, don't fly to their, their stated objective because they have to do the analysis on it afterwards and they end up going much deeper when something doesn't quite go right, then when it just flies extremely well. But anyway, so yeah, my goal is to give them that that opportunity to do that. It's brilliant. So Leighton, tell me, you started as a freshman in these classes. What made you want to sign up for the classes? So as I like uh, kind of said in my bio, I'm just always like I'm looking for a challenge and a problem solving and. I've always also been interested in the STEM and science and space and everything like that. And so it's just this, and also in engineering too, I just feel like it's the right field for me. And this class just seemed like it was kind of a right fit for me. And like a a lot like Mr. Mathis said, this this class, it wasn't like others. So it's not going to be your everyday boring class because there's a lot of interactive learning to be done. Uh, problem solving. So then what does a typical day look like when in class? A typical day, it mainly depends on what we're doing. Say, for instance, like the rocket, a typical day, depending on what stage we're on, um, would consist of going in, uh, finding what, what place we are in our project as a group, kind of divvying out the jobs of what everybody has to complete by that day. So for like building a certain component of the rocket, it would be like who does what and how we're going to do it and when we need to do it by. And, and Mr. Mathis is always there for like guide to give us guidelines and help and assistance if we needed along the way. And what kind of rockets did you build? 
Um, this year, as juniors, we built transonic rockets, and they had to carry. Mr. Mathis gave us the requirement to compa- uh, to carry a payload that could record scientific data in nature, and that could um, well break the speed of sound while staying under thirteen thousand feet. That sounds like a lot of objectives in my mind. So what was your, uh, what data did you collect then? Um, Specifically for the altimeter, it mainly recorded max velocity, um, apogee, uh, descent rate. And we also had a Arduino set up with with, uh, a set of sensors that recorded pressure, uh, humidity, and temperature along while going up every, as a sample of one sample every half second. So we're getting two samples every second of that certain data piece while we're going up. Did you encounter any obstacles this year? This year is the, was the year of many problems, I would consider, because the main obstacle was time and having to reach that deadline that we set at the very beginning of the project and having to figure out a good timeline for everything. And after we ordered our purchase orders, another huge factor was uh, some companies took a while to give us feedback on estimated time of when our packages are where to arrive and our materials would get here. And so that kind of cut down more into the time of building the actual rocket itself. And then a big part of this project was factors out of our control like weather i mean we got a whole week taken away from us due to snow and that cut into our order time and another huge weather factor was on launch day we couldn't launch on our uh, specified launch day because of uh, rain makes it a little more understandable when say some of the bigger companies can't launch on their launch date yes Carrie, I was going to say as a follow-up question to that, which um, happens every year, is uh, their their deadline for completion of the rocket is a week before their launch. And I guess maybe a more particular question in that regards might be like, what uh, what problems did you find after you thought you were done building the rocket? <laughs> yes, yes, like exactly what he was saying. Um, the majority of our problems came from when we were almost finished or completely finished with our rocket. Like doing our uh, pre-flight checks, we found more problems, which sometimes led to more problems. So we just it was a, going down a chain of problem solving while on that deadline. The couple of days we had to stay at the school till nine to ten, that close to the deadline because we were just trying to get everything done. So this is a class that you attend during the day, but then when you're on that deadline, you're you're staying significantly later after the school day. Is am I understanding that right? Yes, you are. And it's as a group, we all decided to. Uh, my group decided to come after school, and it was completely optional. So I guess I can add that to another uh, obstacle would be team commitment and team cooperation. But from my experience, my team this time was really good with being on time, having all their stuff done when they uh, had to be. That's excellent. It's not always the case, it sounds like. Yes, I guess we uh, got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you stay after school this many hours for any of your other classes? 
not for any other classes. Uh, that's, I mean, it sets apart from every other class that I take. It's more of a, uh, I'm kind of a personal thing that I'm getting from all this is just learning experience and also uh, it's a passion. I think that's amazing. So Andrew, when you, you see your students encountering these obstacles and staying late after school, kind of what is your role in that? I guess in that regards, it's kind of similar to before. To before, my job is still sort of a, as a facilitator and manager. I try not to get involved in their in their process and their research and whatnot. A lot of the time, I guess another difference too from when I was teaching chemistry and physics is I end up spending a, a good deal of time sitting behind my desk, and uh, and part of that is is there's a ton that I'm doing in the background to kind of keep things moving for them, but also sometimes it's intentional or sometimes I'll intentionally uh, go check my mailbox or go check on something outside of the classroom because I, I can see that they're, they're at a point where they want to ask me a question. And uh, sometimes not being physically standing or walking right behind them as they're talking about those questions and things coming up, it forces them to kind of rely on themselves and each other to come up with that solution. Very nice. A, a good tricky teacher move. You got to have some of those in your, <laughs> <laughs> your back pocket. That's funny. I, I mean, I think from the get go, when they come here, I explain kind of how it will be different. And initially freshman year, I think it's probably a little bit awkward for them because and uncomfortable, right? Because in, in your math class, when you're given a problem, there's going to be a very specific answer to it when you're done with it. And the teacher can say, that's right, that's wrong, this is what you did wrong. But with even in the freshman year, they're given real-world problems, they have to come up with solutions. But the students are so conditioned to knowing that there's a right answer and a wrong answer, and there's a specific way that you make a 100 or an A in a class, that it's, that's sort of a shift for them as well because – when they come in, I might have seven different groups in a class coming up with a solution and every single group comes up with a different solution. So there's sort of a safety net in the sense that they're not graded on being an engineer, right? They're, they don't have any education in engineering. They don't have the level of math that might be required of it, but I'm checking to see, do they understand the process? Do they understand how to define a problem? Have they done research and are they using the research to support their answers as the year goes, as the years go on, is their math gotten better? Are they supporting their answers? Are they using the right units and things like that? And in that regards, there's sort of that comfort for students knowing they can take risks and come up with wild solutions and not be penalized for it because the number's wrong. So I think initially they're uncomfortable with it, but I think it, eventually they come to see the value of, you know, we can, this is ours. We can come up with it. You know, when students ask me questions about if something will work on their rocket, I, unless it's like a safety and stability issue on how the rocket's going to, to fly in that regards, I don't really give an answer because as soon as I do, and if they choose to follow that, if something goes wrong, then it's on me and it's Mr. Mathis's rocket, but the fact that they take ownership over everything, 
when it flies, like they've got a lot of heart and emotion and commitment put into their rocket. And it's, I think it sticks with them much longer knowing that it's a hundred percent theirs. Most definitely. I can't even imagine. I, so let's talk about launch day then. I mean, I think that is, you know, the culmination of everything for you guys. So what is the setup for the day? So the students have to arrive at the launch site at six in the morning. Uh, and it's off. It's not at the launch site. It's at a separate facility. And at that facility, there's range safety officers who are volunteers working with Systems Go who understand the rockets. And their job, once the students have their rocket ready, is to check. The students have already filled out a flight readiness review, which has 60 to 70 checkpoints on it. And the RSO's job is to check those and make sure the vehicle's safe and it matches their design uh, on paper. Uh, so that they can, so the systems go can guarantee that the vehicle is stable and ready for flight. So once the students know they're ready, they let an RSO know and they get checked out. Once they're checked out, then they go to uh, the stage three area, which is the actual launch site. Uh, at the launch site, systems go personnel load uh, deployment charges on the rocket according to the student's specifications. Uh, and those charges are what deploy their parachute and separate the vehicle. Uh, and at that point, the rocket just lays in queue until it's their turn to fly. Uh, the students get to walk their rocket down to the launch pad and uh, Systems Go personnel take it from there and set it up. Uh, and then when weather permits and it's their turn in line, then they step up. We go through the countdown sequence and fill and fire and test their rocket and that's systems goes job is to make sure that the students projects have the opportunity to be tested i just get excited thinking about it so i i can't even imagine being on site and watching your students do that and then watching the launches it's it's interesting like you mentioned like the launch sort of being the culminating event and it is sort of the culminating event, but as a teacher, I sort of feel like the culmination is afterwards, especially when there's some anomaly in the flight that it doesn't fly exactly as they expect. Cause that just opens up a Pandora's box of questions for the students. And really there tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, uh, both teams uh, are actually presenting to parents and school board members and guest engineers who will join by Skype. Uh, and they'll present uh, their process, their design, their construction, and their analysis of the flight. So to me, that's kind of the big, that's the meat and potatoes where they have a chance to reflect on everything. So Leighton, tell us about this year's launch then. It sounds like maybe the launch readiness checklist got you a few, a few things you had to go back and look at. Yes back earlier when I said about the launch review. So that's mainly the one that we did in class. And so we have to make sure we have that completed before we can actually turn it in to be completed. Uh, like, like Mr. Matthew said, a week before our launch day. And on that day where we showed up at um, six at the site to get our checklist off, it, it takes a while to go down all the lists because you got to make sure you have your rockets to every specification that they thinks uh, that the FRR states 
And if it's not, you either have to work a way around it or you um, can't fly that day if it's something completely where you cannot fix. And on launch day, mainly, it was a lot of waiting. Our specific launch day that we were going to go on Friday, we got our we got our checklist done completely good. One of the first uh, groups to finish out, get out to the launch site to get our charges set. And throughout that whole day, weather was bad. So we had to postpone our specific launch on the actual launch date itself. Has to be a little disappointing to be ready to go and, and then not be able to launch. Yes, it, it, it was kind of disappointing, but it was also a relief factor because that day was kind of cloudy and we wouldn't know if we were going to be able to see our rockets past a certain point. And it's kind of better that we launched on Sunday instead because it was a really nice day. Not many clouds in the sky. We could see the rocket uh, if it went all the way up and watch it and be able to like observe it throughout the flight. Can you give us a little summary of, of your rocket or maybe you know, kind of what you're presenting tomorrow? So our rocket in total is uh, 15 feet in length. The body tube is four inches wide. And as I mentioned earlier, it was going to break the speed of sound while carrying a payload. And our payload in particular consisted of the sensor setup, uh, an altimeter, and a actual tracker that we would be able to get GPS coordinates of the rocket uh, during flight and throughout the flight and where it lands so we could be able to track it. And it was a dual deployment system, meaning it had two sets of charges and two parachutes, one being deployed at its highest point, which is a smaller parachute. And the point of that is so it can reduce the amount of drift and how far it lands away from the launch pad. And the second uh, deployment stage being a main parachute, which is a bigger parachute meant to bring it to a uh, slower fall. Real quick reflective question. How long was your rocket? Think about it before you answer. How long? How long? Yeah. How, how, how long? Yeah. How tall was the rocket? How long uh, was it? 15 feet. Yeah. I meant um, it was eight feet. And, uh, or yeah, eight, eight 8.1 feet in length. I don't know where I got 15 feet from. But, <laughs> I was going to say, that's a really big rocket. Yeah. Nice. So eight um, feet. So then how did the launch go? I mean, what? Did you feel like you're successful? Uh, during, I think personally, during a launch, when you launch a rocket, it's when you watch other people's, it's kind of like a wow, it's that's a cool rocket, and it's going fast. But when it's your own, there's a certain like personal feeling of wow, we we built this and we made this, and like especially during the countdown, you're just kind of nervous and waiting. There's so many thoughts going on in your head, like. Is it going to fly well? Is it not even going to make it off the launch pad? And in our case, our rocket did make it off the launch pad. Um, but there was a problem in the change of, we believe that there's a problem in the change of center of uh, gravity in our rocket because the uh, parachute, the main parachute in the back uh, compartment shifted. So it caused about a 0.5 margin difference during uh launch and it caused a rocket to uh tumble left and it uh the engine was still going while tumbling so it just couldn't get back to uh stability but both parachutes deployed successfully 
and our rocket was able to be recovered fully intact and the it landed in a tree so our main parachute actually got snagged into a tree and uh, we had to cut that down well i i'm quietly cheering over here for you that you've had that much <laughs> success you. so very yeah. nice so are you, are you gonna sign up again for the class next year or oh yes i am i'm planning on taking a senior year yes and so what will you get to do senior year then senior year we are building the goddard level rocket so complete rocket from scratch i mean this time we get a little bit more assistance from mr mathis because it's some stuff that is just way out beyond our knowledge and we are planning on going to white fans to launch this rocket because it's it's the biggest one and it's planned on going 80,000 feet in the air. I'm not wow. sure where you got that information from that I helped more senior year. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I'm quoting you, but <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I mean, just listening to Leighton, Andrew, I mean, I can hear, you know, these these skill sets that I think are so often lacking in students. So, you know, what what do you see in the growth throughout the process, especially for those who return for multiple years? I think the biggest thing is confidence. I've had a student, a, a one, this one particular student, it was just a great story, but I think it's not unusual. Um, this was probably three or four years ago, and it, they, he was a senior at the time, and um, they were presenting their critical design review, and there were engineers from NASA online and people in the classroom, and, you know, this, uh, this was a very high-ranked student, and they asked a question, a relatively simple question about something they designed and they kind of asked for his rationale for it. And he said, well, I just kind of picked it. And they were like, well, that's not going to work. You're going to need to research. I mean, they said it kindly to him, <laughs> but they said, that's not going to work. You need to research and have a reason for it. And the student after the presentation was so put off, I remember him sitting in the middle of the room quiet for like 30 minutes like just blown away and uh, he, he recovered and in terms of the project and he got everything and found the answer and moved on. But I've heard from him a couple times since he's graduated and he's uh, studying chemical engineering with the hopes of going into uh, med medical research. And uh, he still, we still get reports back from him that if he hadn't gone through the program, he wouldn't have the skills he needs to succeed at the level he's able to in college. And it's not, it, it's not academic. Like I'm not teaching academic things that would have helped him in chemical engineering. Right. It's just something, it's the confidence and the ability to take a problem head on and not worry about the the hiccups and issues and difficulties that you know in the end, if you persist, that you're going to be okay and you're going to find a solution. Um, as long as you don't quit, you're just going to keep progressing. So to me, I always feel like the confidence to persist and the fortitude to persist is probably one of the biggest things students get out of the program. I, you know, I have to say, like the other side, I 
thing that I really enjoy about it, which doesn't really come up much is, you know, I'm with these students for three to four years and we come become very close and we're very familial. Um, I think they feel like they can rely on me for anything. And likewise, I feel like I can trust them. Um, you know, I can walk out of the, I mean, I've had subs who have seen me like a day or two after they've been in there, like, your kids are incredible. Like they literally just walked in and went to work. Like I didn't have to like say or do anything. I just watched them work. (laughs) And that's what we want, right? Is we want people with workforce integrity to show Mm -hmm. up and do what they're supposed to do without somebody spoon feeding them a worksheet or an expectation or a, a to-do list. Like they walk in and they just know what they're supposed to do. So it's very rewarding as a teacher to get to see that. I can only imagine. That's, I feel like every teacher's dream to see them <laughs> successful, <is>. independent <laughs> uh, human beings. Yes, ma'am. I, I think sometimes it can be nerve-wracking to, to leave a substitute with students, but uh, I've never felt never felt that way with my classes. Like, I always feel confident that they're going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing and taking care of business. So, and realistically, they don't have the time to. <laughs> to burn so, <laughs> to so that's another up. motivator that's another motivator for them to keep going oh i love it so Layton, what are your plans after you graduate do you are you already thinking of which um one i mean i plan on uh, attending a college for aerospace engineering and i'm currently looking into colleges that are just that fit best for me and that i feel like i would most belong at and after college i'm looking yeah i will pursue a career in that um mainly the space part because i've always been interested in space and traveling further and expanding that's our passion here too at the space foundation is is space so i love it did i miss anything that you guys want to share anything we didn't touch on i guess one thing i would comment on is in regards to the program i know some schools that are teaching the systems go program. They, they boast that they might have, you know, I'm just going to say if they had 20 kids graduating out of the program, that 18 of them are going into engineering, which is great. And I feel like my class is probably more like a 50, 50, um, rate of going into engineering. And there might be, you know, 25% of those are going into some science and technology field and the other 25 might be going into business or military or whatever the case is. But I think what sort of speaks volumes is that they see the value in it and they stick with it through all that time, because realistically it doesn't matter if you work at space foundation and the business aspect, or you become a lawyer or a doctor or a plumber or whatever the case is, like you need those problem solving skills. Like you show up to a job and somebody's going to give you responsibility and you know how to respond and you're going to need to know how to respond to that and stay calm and uh, be composed through that process. And it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, like it's still the same similar skill set that you still need as you go out into the world. So I appreciate the systems go has afforded me like, I remember when I interviewing here at Fredericksburg and telling them I was hoping to get into physics and engineering and they asked why. And I said, well, I want to do hands-on education. So students know why we do things, why we learn things. 
Um, so I had the opportunity to kind of do that in my chemistry and physics classes before I was able to step into the engineering classes here. So I think the, the universality of the workforce skills that I'm able to offer kids is great. And I feel blessed and lucky and fortunate and get to work with great kids. There is another thing I'd like to add about the classroom and like the classroom environment itself is every day it's something different. It's not like a traditional class where you're going to sit down in the same seats in perfect rows every day and learn almost the same things. You're going to get different partners and you don't pick your best friends for partners. Sometimes you get somebody you completely don't know. So it really helps you learn how to work with others and how to like build new friendships and grow as a person and grow out to more people and not just be confined in your own little solitary group. And the presentations are a big part of it too, because you learn how to stand up in the front of the board and not just read uh, paragraphs off a of PowerPoint, kind of learn how to summarize bullet points and expand out from those bullet points. And it's mainly like a conversation to your audience rather than just a, uh, like I said, reading to the people and getting those questions from the, from the audience and knowing how to respond back or sometimes not knowing how to respond back is a big part of the learning process. I'm almost speechless. It's just, it's so amazing that, you know, you're going to be a senior next year in high school. And these are skill sets yeah. that you, you already have and they're well-developed enough to even be on a podcast. We appreciate the time. We Thank appreciate you. the opportunity. Thank you for having us. Uh, yeah, I, th I thoroughly enjoyed hearing you guys talk about it and really getting that kind of that that hands-on side of things. So it's right. been a Thank pleasure. You, Thank you. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and of course our website spacefoundation.org, where you can also learn about the various ways you can support Space Foundation. On all of these outlets and more, it's Space Foundation's mission to be a gateway to education, information, and collaboration for space exploration and space-inspired industries that drive the global space ecosystem. At Space Foundation, we will always have space for you. Thanks for listening.